Morning, gang. Hope you're well. I'm, you might have known, an excitable person, right? I do get a bit giddy, not because it's Monday, but especially when there's new, new things happening in and around my life, or especially when friends and colleagues that I'm associated so strongly with are coming up with cool new shit to talk about, right? And I like talking about things on the internet, as we all know, right? But as was mentioned a few weeks ago when I had Tom Jessen on the show, he was working on a project, sort of doing some long-form stuff over sciatica. People have been seeing his talk at Therapy Live. He did a really box office podcast on Physio Matters, maybe was it last year before he went over to the States. And he's been beavering away, working on a book. And we can announce that all being well, bit of final polishing, it will be out tomorrow. And I'm delighted to be talking it through and talking that project through and giving a few teasers uh, today with Tom. So hopefully if the tech allows, I will be bringing you Tom Jessen. Tom, are you with me? I'm with you, Jack. You all right, mate? Yes, I'm good, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm well done. Uh, regardless of how the next 24 hours go, polishing, <laughs> well done so far. I got a bit of an insight. You emailed over where it's up to right now. Uh, yeah. Don't worry, I'm not about to leak, uh, leak too much of it, but it's kind of that it just was as I suspected with regards to its thoroughness, et cetera. So I feel like it's such a privilege to have you on to sort of talk about that as it's uh, sort of about to, about to no doubt set the MSK world on fire and rightly so. But my, my first question really, without getting into the subject matter of sciatica, is I really want to ask you as to why did you fancy writing this? Right? Tell me about the context of, of coming to write it. Uh, I think, um, so as, as probably most listeners would know and as you just mentioned i was on your podcast um i think it was almost two years ago now really? um well it was yeah 2018 and um that was coming off the back of like a maybe a blog and a twitter thread or something and i think i remember on the train home because we recorded in manchester i was thinking well that was great i enjoyed that i think it went pretty well but there was a lot that i didn't know and there was even a few things that you asked me that we had to cut out of the podcast because I had no idea <laughs> what the answer was. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of get, like, getting that feeling of, um, I really like this subject. Um, people um, kind of want to know what I have to say about it, but I feel like there's so much more that I need to know to kind of level up. Um, and so I think even then it was come, like taking form in my mind that I wanted to do something. I knew I had to do more and learn more and push myself. And, um, you know, I think I was trying to remember back because I knew you'd asked me this. And I think it was just over a year ago, I tweeted out something like, you know, does anyone have any questions about Sadika? Basically, I, I want to do more research. I don't know what I'm going to do, um, but what would you want to know? And then it was about this time last year that I put out the newsletter. Um, and to answer your question, like, why did I do it? It was to scratch that itch that I had after the podcast. Like, okay. you know, there's there's definitely more I need to know. Like, I love this topic anyway. It's so interesting. And I think it's important. So I was always going to do it um, in my spare time, maybe, and like maybe make a website or keep a blog. But I think it was around this time last year, I was started to think of it more as like in a more professional manner. Like, you know, this is kind of going to be my you know, I'm going to pour all the spare time I have into this, basically, mm. and take it really seriously. Um, and that's when it became a book, because I was like, if it's just the best, clearest way to communicate information. I didn't want it to be blog posts everywhere. I didn't want it to be, you know, anything else. I thought, if I want to tell people about this stuff, it has to be a book. 
basically. Yeah, that, that thoroughness that you were wanting to bring to it naturally meant that your media was going to be narrowed and, and, and kind of rightly so. So we can do bits like this, but obviously they're only ever going to be snapshots. It'd be almost like a two-week podcast in, in full, wouldn't it? You'd never be off air yeah. <laughs> to really cover the, the subject matter. Now, I can't help but you know allow myself this moment to say, am I right in thinking that all good things in MSK are downstream of physio matters? Is that a reasonable conclusion <laughs> in this instance? Are you angling for a mention in the acknowledgement section, Jack? Is that what you're after? I mean, I haven't yet checked it, but I just assumed <laughs> it was front and centre. But no, I wasn't actually. Um, and any acknowledgement sections or anything like undergraduate dissertations, and they should be funnier rather than factual. So I'd rather a few puns in there than my name. But no, I, I, as much as I'm, I'm indulging the idea that we were in some way involved and my questions were some way involved, you've got to acknowledge, though, that that instinct of yours in this instance is somewhat atypical, right? People in our game, especially those that spread themselves thin as generalists, myself being a classic example of this, are massive and passionate interest in particular things and, and, and wish we knew more of the detail, but are sometimes so spoilt for choice that you just know you can't get across it all, or that there is something to be said in MSK these days where I think that there is a degree of complacency compared to yesteryear that can creep in that general principles and functional rehabilitation as well as those you know making sure you've got an appropriate safety over the top of your diagnosis means that you you can as a generalist do a, do a pretty good job i would say by not necessarily getting into the nitty-gritty and because it feels like it's unsurmountable on one side and then you've not necessarily got the clinical pressures to know everything means that you sort of don't. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm too guilty of that because I am such a broad generalist, but you pursued this and I imagine there's something about this that was particular because you could well have done the same. You know, I'm sure, um, I mean, unless this is where I say, well, the reason you didn't do it on knees is because you know everything there is to know about knees. <laughs> but it's kind of like, well, why, why sciatica? Yeah, I think um, there's a few ways of, look, Part of it is all just an accident. And I think we talked about this last time I was on there, which is I was asked to do a presentation about it at work and I didn't know what ridiculous pain was. And it, so I did a thread on Twitter um, just because I wanted some likes and it went really well. And it sort of went from there. So part of it is just like, if I was asked to do the presentation on knees, maybe we would be sitting here talking about knees, wow, okay. but maybe we wouldn't because there is already um, a lot of people who are kind of covering that ground really well. Um, and like, I think there was something about ridiculous pain that sparked people's interest because it had almost lapsed a little bit. And I don't want to get into a, a, hot, a top, hot topic of non-specific low back pain, but I think that way of looking at things might have made people forget about ridiculous pain a little bit. Yeah. So I think it's been a bit of a, um, and not take it. I think maybe can take a bit of credit for this, but not all credit. A bit of a renaissance in the last couple of years for ridiculous pain, hasn't it? Um, certainly for people um, of my kind of uh, like class uh, or generation who have not really been educated that much in that kind of to that level of nitty gritty specifics. Mm. So. I think it's a a combination of like just lucky. I, I, I kind of stumbled on this topic, but also that I, ca I kept getting that positive feedback of people are really interested in this. And every time I put an email and out, out people are replying saying, you know, I've always wondered about that, you know, I've or I've never wondered about that. But now you mention it, I see that all the time, you know. 
So if I wasn't getting that positive feedback loop, I would have, you know, found something else, but it just keeps going. So I'm just keep writing. Yeah. And it's fascinating because I think that sometimes people like um, assume that there is a, 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 go a specific goal or agenda underneath something like this, when actually, as you're saying, mm. it can really truly be emergent. And I, I always sort of describe that, that feedback loop you're describing as to the real reason under the Big R's project and MSKR is because it fuels it because that interest is being untapped elsewhere. And so it's like, well, again, cheesy what we were saying, if not us, then who? And we just cracked on with it. Now, it feels like that's been, been similar in, in this way. Now, before, I, before me and you crack on, I do want to just ask the live audience that have tuned in to, to get stuck in and get involved. I know you guys are always a bit more cautious and bombard as we question in the final minutes and we never get to them. So I want to ask uh, as to whether you have any questions for Tom, please. I will I promise you I will shut up briefly and, and, and get your questions in there if you do. Uh, but also, even if you don't have any questions for Tom on the specifics and you just want to hear me chat to him about it, then I do want to ask you a question. What does sciatica mean to you? Is is that term and the terminology around it something that you're comfortable with and familiar with and, and that question that often we get asked as clinicians what is that i've got told this is sciatica what is sciatica obviously something with me and tom are going to get stuck into but I, I would love it if you don't mind giving me your take us your take on what you feel your answer will be to that question but so so tom I, i'm gonna have to go there really and say to you that um your, your title of your book this yeah. is part one <laughs> is what is it um yeah. and we we had a back and forth didn't we what it is what is it you know it, mm. it, uh, it, it can be either way but um have you have you been able to come to that you know it's, it's a more challenging question than people sometimes realize so have you come to a conclusion yeah and although first of all i should say the book is also called sciatica oh, um, course, and yeah. not and not ridiculous pain because you you just said you know it's a bit of a controversial name but I was like, well, if I call it ridiculous pain, kind of the whole point of this is some people don't quite know what that is. So yeah. I, I stuck to the general title. Mm. But as for, yeah, so as you mentioned, like the the book has ended up being in two parts. So I think it was kind of being, beginning of December, I would realize kind of, you know, this is going to go on forever, basically, if I want to keep it as the, cover the whole of sciatic in a book to the quality that I want to cover it. Um, so I thought, you know, I have to cut it in half. I've actually written or drafted most of the second half already. But I was like, just get rid of that for now and focus on, as you said, what is it? So this is part one, what is sciatica? And part two will be what to do about it. Um, as for what is sciatica, well, I just wrote, I think, 45,000 words on it. But what, what I was, I think what I was um, surprised at was the kind of heterogeneity of it um so it's the book's quite reductionist in like a neutral way that's usually used as like a bit of a uh, an insult because you're supposed to be holistic right but it's quite reductionist because it, it breaks everything down into parts so we talk about well what sort of what effect does compression or pressure uh, or just being crowded out what kind, what kind of effect does mechanical pressure have on the nerve how does that make the nerve lose its function? And how does that make the nerve gain its function? And then we talk about what kind of effect does chemical irritation have on the nerve? How does that make it lose its function? How does that make it gain its function? Uh, we talk about what happens to the whole nerve. So usually in sciatic, you'll see like a picture of the nerve root uh, and actually even just like a very short course of the nerve root. So we talk about well, what's actually happening to the nerve as it goes all the way into the tips of your toes and what happens to the spinal cord as it goes all the way up to the brain as well. So we try and kind of reclaim the rest of the nervous system, um, cover 
not only so I think when I was on your show it was like you were like it's not just about compression is it and I was like no it's about inflammation too Jack also thinking I hope he doesn't ask me what inflammation is I don't really know what inflammation is that was like a couple of years ago so we cover like well what actually is inflammation if you could look at an inflamed nerve root what would it look like and we've got loads of interesting like reports from surgeons you know really interesting stuff about um because some nerves aren't like some nerves aren't don't seem to be inflamed they're really painful but when they take bio not biopsies like samples from them they're not there's not, not really any inflammation in there so we talk about well a lot of it seems to be kind of ischemic pain so this is something I didn't really appreciate um, a couple of years ago is like how important the role of kind of a lack of oxygen. Like if you do a lot of exercise, your muscles start to hurt because the lack of oxygen is painful. Um, and a similar thing seems to happen in nerve roots when they're put under pressure. Um, so I think what, what's been interesting is trying to pull together all the heterogeneity of it, um, but also, you know, trying to make that mean something in the end as well. Sure. Um, yeah, that's well, the answer to your question. It does, yeah. Well, I mean, as you say, your book answers the question. It's <laughs> always going to have to be your answer from here on in, and, and hopefully, you, you know, you're going to... I've said it, I'd, I'd sooner you'd be overexposed than underexposed at the moment on this and be on other shows, uh, both that we're associated to and otherwise, really. I think it's something that needs to get this out there. So one of the things you're going to be used to answering is, well, I wrote a book on that, and so yeah. it's not going to be something you can always give a talking point on. But one of the yeah. things we, we did, and I remember, you know, you mentioned this about re reductionist and stuff like that. I always found it, that, is that a different word to reductive? Uh, I always find that funny, but yeah, yeah, what Tom's describing there is that when you get into the into the nitty gritty, especially when it comes to anatomy and physiology and and the ways in which sometimes on a cellular level we're sometimes talking, then you know that the, the um, accusation is that but you're missing the whole person in its social context. It, well, well, no, not necessarily. Like not in every single sentence might mm. not come across as holistic, but in recognizing someone uh, in a, in clinical practice, or if anyone would pay attention to Tom's broader work, they'd recognize that no, it's just that there's different different lenses uh, that you're using from a from a, a fisheye lens on a big camera through to a microscope. Mm. It's still appropriate, and that facts of the matter can emerge in various different places. Um, I suppose one of the things I remember asking in that podcast, I think one of the things that got cut, because it was a bit of an awkward one from me, when we were talking about compression and inflammation, I was then, we were getting proper nerdy about it. And I said, well, can, do we know whether or not uh, sufficient inflammation and in, say even like obvious swelling pressure, could that cre create uh, loss of function that would be therefore almost masquerading as compression when it isn't true compression? And we both realized that we were getting in, into the wings, yeah, yeah. but also that those were, bloody tough questions to answer <laughs> which i know you've then aspired to answer are you in this book saying that you, you you've allowed yourself to to, to stay in close throughout or do you vary said lens like i've just described it so first of all like to to speak to your your point about people um get quite um attached to certain lenses and certain lenses come in and out of fashion um and that that was always in my mind like um throughout writing the book is this kind of the the little twitter voice on my shoulder of like um you know uh you maybe you're being too biomedical or too reductionist uh, and you should be more holistic and biopsychosocial because it is you know the nature of the topic is it's quite um it's uh, there's quite a lot of biology in there um but i think as you say these things um to talk about one thing isn't to exclude the other 
And I think in the past when I've written like blog post level stuff, what I've done is I've said, like alluded to the fact that um, if I'm talking about biology or things on a cellular level, if I'm talking about one nerve, I'll always allude to the fact that it's part of a larger nervous system or and that, that part of the nervous system is part of a person and a part of a person is part of the society because it's really important. But I, at some point in writing the book, I realized I can't consistently keep alluding to the other end of the spectrum if I'm talking about one end of the spectrum because it's just going to be boring it's for the bad, reader. It's bad writing it's, as well. It's bad writing and it's going to start sounding like I'm making excuses for myself. <laughs> so what I did was I thought like, this isn't a tweet. I don't have to like preempt that certain people are going to jump on it and tell me I'm missing the biopsychosocial approach. <laughs> this is a more of a, a, I'm talking to one person, uh, one reader, and I need to give them the benefit of the doubt, which is that, you know, they're um, an experienced or a smart, intelligent clinician. And so it's okay for me to kind of break things down and be reductionist. That's not dangerous because they're able to contextualize that and kind of integrate that, that into their own understanding of the world and of their patients. Um, but to answer your question, I think a lot of, because I think a lot of it is quite, as I said, it does break things down, but I was also really, really keen, and this is really clear from the start, was to keep bringing it back to the clinical picture or to keep bringing it back to the reader's experience of the world. So to me, there's absolutely nothing worse than reading a book and the first chapter is just like a list of anatomy. Not because anatomy is not interesting, but because it's, you don't know if it's going to be important. So it'll tell you like, oh, this joint has these ligaments. This ligament attaches from here to here. And it's like, well, this is all kind of cool, but do I need to know this? Are you going to come back to this later? And very often they don't and stuff like that. So what I've tried to do throughout is if I mention like a piece of an anatomy, like a particular ligament or a particular aspect of the nerve, I'm not mentioning it for completion's sake or to show off or to make like, like I'm writing an encyclopedia. I'm mentioning it because I'm going to come back to that later and I want the readers to be able to trust that that's I'm telling them about that now so that later on I'm going to tell them something else about it that's going to make them go oh so that's why that is or you know that kind of click or that penny drop of oh so that's kind of why certain patients do that maybe or that's why they feel that way yeah so it is reductionist in a sense but it's also like I've been really really keen to keep bringing it back to so that when people read it they get that sense of some like things falling into place like they're starting to understand the world yeah. a little bit better and that when they next go into clinic they'll be thinking oh hang on tom wrote about that in that book maybe i'll have a look at that on the bus home tonight and that will kind of help me understand that a bit more yeah um so i think that yeah certainly in, in that sense it's holistic maybe yeah, well, it's always as, as long as that's in yeah, as long as that's in play, uh, you can't just keep harking back to it. I think one of the things that's interesting, and obviously we've spoken plenty off air about this, is that the journey you've been on that then means you've had this. There is a literary process as well as then a scientific process, and that's the thing about it not necessarily being that it's for publication as a as a research methodology that you kind of tied mm. to a certain format, but that freedom sometimes can be quite limiting because it struggles to you know get going because you can just overplan. but i suppose what what on on this front is that i remember that when when you're um 
when you're setting about this, if you overset the scene, um, then you, you're definitely going to be just immediately talking down to certain portions of your audience who are, who are not necessarily wondering as to whether or not that's relevant and whether or not they need to flag that. And then as soon as people think they can get away with skipping a few pages, they're going to be using it as if it's a textbook, which is not the plan and not what you were doing. And, and it wasn't a reference guide that was then going to be able to be digested necessarily in, in those sections. And there is a, an appropriate journey in the format of it, from what I recall, you're telling me it was, was really something you gave a lot of thought to. It flags up one of David Poulter's questions here, which is that he wants to know what's the most enlightening thing you've learned on the journey. And I would feel like if you don't mind, I'd want to merge two questions, really. One is in terms of the pursuit of that clinical and, and scientific knowledge. But also, if you don't mind, if I can ask the same question, what's the most enlightening thing you've learned more generally about yourself, about the writing experience? Um, the most enlightening thing I've learned is I try and answer this as specifically because it feels very specific to me is I've hopefully learned or, or got better at trying to see and interpret the world as it is and try to because I think before I started this book I was vaguely conscious but not truly conscious to of the extent to which I was kind of interpreting all um, people's pain and all papers that I read and you know all blog posts and tweets you kind of put them into one of those like spectrums that we were talking about earlier oh this paper is very biomedical or oh this is um, kind of forgets about the brain or this paper is very holistic and I think I it's kind of this kind of shorthand way of thinking which you know I know you're a sort of political animal jack is is just natural and people just think about things in that way but i've really kind of tried to um kind of get past that and just try to forget not forget about those let let those kind of binaries and those debates inform the piece but also practice putting them aside so that i can try and describe things as best as i can if that makes sense it does but you, you, you sort of i might i might miss characterize this although i think i understand you but you've had to scrutinize your own sort of philosophical priors because you wanted to come at this thinking about the world as it is rather than what it ought to be and and that fundamentally what what ought to be or what is aspired to be or what the social context in which you might have been in might have colored your worldview on you wanted to almost get back back down to a a, a facts of the matter analysis am I, am I have i characterized that fairly yeah and that's been enlightening for me because um, it's a, I think I'm thinking more probabilistically so I'm, I'm taking evidence and kind of weighting it and you know you mentioned priors before against my priors and saying well how much does this shift does this add to the picture what sort of credence do I give this sure. whereas before I was more scrutinizing it from um, what I now would start to think of as more like a naive point of view which is I don't I kind of uh, I don't allow myself to believe anything unless there's kind of um, a randomized controlled trial or a systematic review or something. And I think I've, I've hopefully managed to kind of, the word enlightening kind of reminded me of this is why I've ended up talking about it. Level up a little bit and be a bit more sophisticated about the way I interpret things. So, um, You've not been, I've never thought of you as being a narrow empiricist though like that's so I, I kind of know what you what, what you're meaning but then 
I don't I didn't know that of you that you would hold you would you would allow yourself to indulge a, a standard hierarchy of evidence before that truly yeah. swayed yeah. your opinion. But you know maybe must have hidden it well. But no, I think <laughs> I, I used to think I used to think it was sophisticated to think everything was false and that our senses were right. all naive and would mislead okay. us and that we need rigorous evidence before we can believe something. Uh, and that's in that kind of binary way. So you're yeah. thinking of COVID people saying there's no evidence that masks work type of thing. Sure. But now, probably along with the whole COVID thing, I've, I've really been, this book's really allowed me to practice. Um, and certainly the second part as well, when you do talk about evidence, um, like in terms of effectiveness, really allowed me to practice like trying to build a more sophisticated map of the world, which is really difficult um, for me anyway. Yeah, well, absolutely. Unfortunately, that that yeah, I've always seen you as someone that sort of allows himself to swim in the shades of grey and stuff. But clearly, you're you're uh, admitting that that even even someone like you that maybe has, has hidden it well. Um, certainly, it's tempting for all of us. And by the way, I'm not for a second suggesting that I don't indulge those things too. And certainly, you know, I think one of the things I get away with more than most and more than most should really is the fact that I'm broadly across you know I, I, I've, I've no no sense in our expertise really and, and because I'm having to keep myself across things as a general commentator and trying to platform actual experts and, and, and things is all I need to be able to do is find a question I rarely have to find an answer and so thank you for pursuing answers when um, I know that the low-hanging fruit is instead to sort of offer a provocative edgy contrarian <laughs> question which I hope I don't you know but behind when I'm not on air typically I'm, I'm often troubled by the pursuit of, of said answers rather than just leaving it at, a, at an edgy question. But when it comes to the same question but applied to the science and the, and the clinical side, have you come across something that really has almost confronted you that you're like, that is something that I would have typically thought until pursuing this in detail that that was almost like a, a myth or that that didn't, we thought that that didn't matter and it does or the other way around? <laughs> I think... Um... Let's see. I think that I've become more convinced and I hope uh, I hope I'm not going into kind of too much generalizing again because I promise the book isn't about this, but I hope in fact I've deliberately hidden all this stuff from the book because I know people don't want to read it. Have I, have I but, accidentally dragged us away from the book? I, no, 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 it's fine, it's, it's fine but this is what I like talking about with you, but I'm just, I hope people don't think that the book is too much like this. But what I've, I've definitely been more convinced by is um, uh, I've become a bit more of a peripheralist. I remember Nina making a, a plea for the periphery on one of your podcasts a good pledge, few years ago pledge now. For the periphery. For the periphery. Alliteration in there as well, yeah. And I think I used to use the brain as a get out of jail free card for explaining things like, uh, you know, oh, but like MRI findings, you know, some people have um, MRI findings, but no pain. You know, why is that? Oh, it's the brain, you see, you know, the brain, there's pain's actually in the brain. And I think I realized as well, like, um, you know, you're going to have to kind of leave that excuse behind and try and understand this in a bit more detail. And as things um, emerged, I did start to find myself more and more convinced that, yeah, the, the periphery is really important and can explain a lot of the clinical picture. Mm. And that might just be because there's a, a huge absence of evidence on like central stuff in radicular pain. There just isn't that much, especially compared to back pain. Um, but I think I've become much more of a peripheralist 
I've become much more convinced of the idea that discs can have a role in um, pain, um, and um, which is not a fashionable idea. And I think I fell into the fashion of kind of raising an eyebrow every time someone talked about, you know, yeah. disc herniations and I things. But I think I've managed to... I prefer the way you've had to learn that lesson than the way I had to learn yeah. that lesson, right? So for, for those that don't know, I think me and Tom have talked about this before, is I went through a pretty pretty difficult uh, experience with, with, say, sciatica, radicular pain, discogenic problems and compressive lesion that I had. And so that was quite exposing, you know, and, and I think that in and around that time, perhaps that was something that I was confronted with the realities of the, of the periphery and the tissues and things like that to what was uh, different to the top-down indulgence that we were all kind of going through around that time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to, to, to interrupt you there, Tom, but it's kind of because we're nearly out of time and I do vaguely try and keep these to time. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I, I just wanted to touch on, thank you so much for the comments that are coming in. Um, things like Joe saying she loves the respect for the reader. Uh, which I think is uh, is definitely uh, what what people have noticed. Um, Gemma also enjoying the the topic and having Tom back on the show. It's certainly something that I feel like I want to be clear on. Like you've just said, is that I can't interview a book. I can interview a author, <laughs> and I want to be clear to you that are listening live, as well as those more, many more of you that tune in after the fact that that there's a reason in which uh, my my questions always go in this direction, and me and me and Tom end up talking about this stuff is because. The insights that I hope it gives you into, into Tom Jesson, the man, in Tom Jesson, the author, is that you're getting on his written work that level of thoughtfulness and that many of us just can't necessarily articulate as well as he does. So please trust those instincts to come through on the pages because I, I know they do, even from my skim reading as well as my obviously close observation of his work, his career, his trajectory to date. And so please do know that that level of thoughtfulness is something that then comes out to all of our benefit in this clinician's guide to sciatica part one tom where are people going to find it when uh, it's out tomorrow i don't know that's what i need to work out today <laughs> I, I, i've got this um it's i've got this pdf i don't know how to give it to anyone well i don't know how to sell it but I, uh, so if people want to i think most people will probably be subscribed anyway but go to tomjesson.substack.com um, and just subscribe and you'll get an email late or late this evening my time on Tuesday your time if you're in the UK um, which will probably have a link to somewhere you can get the book I hope I mean, this, this, this is something that, that concerns me about Tom not wanting to be the self-publicist, right? He's given at least enough of a thought to know that there will be a mechanism for purchasing this book. Yeah, so, I'm probably um, going to use Gumroad or something, but I just need to integrate it with WordPress. And I'm, um, so it's probably going to be on my website, but I can't promise people that. So I think they should go to the newsletter, subscribe to that. Tom's social media feeds, my social media feeds, anything to do with physio matters is going to be making a hell of a racket about this as soon as we've got <laughs> an appropriate link to point you to. So it's not going to be something that goes under your radar. Don't worry. However, just make sure that you're paying attention to it because it is going to be well worthwhile. And obviously, it's not just get it in a day or it's gone. No, it's get, get it while it's hot. That's definitely worthwhile. But also pay attention to some of those 
feeds and, and Tom's newsletter as well for various different things he's going to be able to do, especially as more as the first few batches of people have managed to get through it. We definitely want that that conversation to flow out of it. And I, I know from the format of the book that it is a journey that Tom's been through, but he's also bringing us with him. And so I want that conversation to flow. And so, Tom, if you'll, if you'll join me on here intermittently, as you have done already, then I think that that will help. And so we can we can channel more and more questions to what will become soon a best-selling author. <laughs> All right, mate. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Jack. Nice to chat to you. Take care. Take care.